Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back once again to the PeaceWorks Podcast. On this episode, we welcome back some friends. But before we jump into our conversation, you know what I have to do. I have to do a commercial. And that commercial is about PeaceWorks University. So uh, if you are not in PeaceWorks University yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. If you are benefiting from the content you're hearing on PeaceWorks, the PeaceWorks podcast, PeaceWorks University is your best next step. It is our online membership community, and we are waiting to see you inside PeaceWorks University. Also, uh, at the time of this recording, we are quickly approaching PeaceWorks Live. That is our live event in Charleston, West Virginia, and we would love to have you join us. We've got two tracks this year, the Men of Peace Facilitator Track, which is our perpetrator intervention track, and a trauma-informed care track for victims. And you you can learn more about PeaceWorks Live at chrismoles.org. Please plan on attending. If I'm not convincing you, and last week's episode didn't convince you, then this week's episode is it. This is your last chance because I am joined once again by my friends Beth and Melissa, and we are going to talk a little bit more about PeaceWorks Live, but more specifically, some of the key work uh, that we are doing in the world of abuse and uh, intimate partner violence when it comes to story. And one of the things I appreciate about you ladies Obviously, Melissa with the Restoried groups uh, that we talked about briefly in our last episode and Beth having a, a background in narrative therapy. I love the concept of story and storytelling uh, as being part of the therapeutic process. So what I'd love to do right off the bat is just hear a little bit more about the significance of story and how that works in victim care and then maybe dialogue a little bit more about our place as helpers and perpetrators and victims uh, in the greater story that we're talking about. Not a, not a tiny concept. It's not, we, we're going to have to summarize. Yeah, so that we only have 20 minutes to get the entire concept <laughs> clarified. Well, I will just say that, that something that is, we, we, we sort of hit on this a little bit in the last episode, but just this idea that often the story of someone who's survived difficult, abusive, traumatic situations is that the story itself can feel, sometimes I describe it to my clients almost like if you took your filing cabinet full of files and just dumped them all over the living room floor, it can feel really jumbled. Um, Things can feel missing from uh, the the pile of files. (laughs) And, And even being able to access some of our own material from our stories can feel blocked in particular ways whenever you've experienced traumatic events. And that's that's a mechanism of the mind that actually God created. Sometimes, you know, we end up sort of blocking off certain things because we're just not ready to, to approach them or be able to handle the effects of them. And so that sort of concept of having everything jumbled on the floor can make it really difficult for somebody who wants to sort it out, who's somebody who feels really confused by, well, what do I do now? This, these horrible things have happened to me and I don't even know what to do next. So one of the things we get to do in our work is to sit with people and give them the space to actually start picking up some of those files and opening them and then even trying to order them in particular ways and that's a not a quick process uh it's it's pretty slow but it's really beautiful because 
in that way, we are piecing together what actually has happened and maybe not even just situationally, but where has it left you? What has it left you believing about yourself, the Lord, other people, the world? Um, and how is that affecting your ability to move forward in healing? So uh, story is a huge part of the trauma healing process. Yeah, um, Beth, hearing you say that even reminds me of something that I don't remember where you wrote this or said it, but um, it's a phrase that I know you said somewhere, um, but this idea um, where you said something along the lines of that trauma is a wordless story um, that our body tells itself. And uh, that was a quote from, I think, a few years ago when I might have heard you somewhere and speak somewhere and it stuck with me. And so along those same lines of what you're referencing there when we're working with whether it's someone just coming out of an abusive situation or maybe it's long, you know, been in their past as well, just how different their experience of it now in the present um, is going to be so varied from person to person. Um, but that idea of it being a wordless story, cause we're so used to, you know, as you kind of mentioned, Chris, we're so used to stories being very, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, there's certain characters, there's certain, um, things related to the plot, things that you can kind of anticipate or expect in every story. And I think what we are, all saying when we talk about the things we're going to share at the event is um, the stories that we work with oftentimes don't follow those patterns at all. And so that can feel really jarring for us too, as the caregivers. I think that's really vital. One of the things that I'm hoping that folks will learn uh, in the weekend and, and really take away as a word that you guys, I think both use, which was the word patience understanding that, you know, we may be helping an individual. And I think Beth put it this way, providing them the space um, to put the pieces of the puzzle, the chapters of the book back together. But we don't, we don't get to see the picture. We don't know what we're building and we don't know the, the book other than our connection to Christ's story. And I think that's one of the big misses in the church is that we try to take the pieces of the puzzle put them together quickly based upon what we think rather than allowing people the space to share their story and interact with their story. And that doesn't begin with a broad, clear picture. I think, Beth, I've heard you say that it's often very narrow, maybe even a pinhole of insight that we get. So talk to me a little bit, ladies, about the restoring process. And Beth, I'll start with you and come back to Melissa about that narrowing, you know, going from that narrow window to something more broad and beautiful. Well, there's a reason that a survivor of trauma has a very narrow view. Do you think of it almost like um, the, if you, I, people can't see my, my hands unless they're looking at Facebook Live, but just kind of this very, very narrow, straight from the eyes down to the nose kind of a, a, a view that only that it's, it's structured based on the pain and the, the lack of safety that someone has experienced, that they've got this very narrow vision of actually what has happened and what is happening. And then what we get to do as we listen and they, they put words to the wordless story, which is a very huge part of the healing process is giving it actual language, 
as that happens, then the scope begins to widen and we begin to see peripheral vision, so to speak. And I think what sometimes happens, I know um, working in a church setting for as long as I have, I think what uh, just an easy thing that happens is that you sit with someone and you hear their story, but what you've actually heard, especially in that first conversation, is a very narrow view. And it's filtered through the pain and it's filtered through uh, the fear. It's very legitimate. And so then because you see that narrow view, you might be tempted, we are tempted to structure a solution based off of that very, very narrow view. But what we, it's gonna be really hard for us to, to come to the right conclusions, to the wisdom of what to do moving forward until we have actually widened the scope and given space for the survivor to share more of the story and more of the emotion and the mental capacity and various things that go along with that story. And as that widens, then your view gets more clear so that you can see a way forward. And I think that that sort of rush and let's let's be charitable and know that often pastors, the rush to come to a solution is a desire to see that sheep who's part of your fold move forward and heal. You want that. You desire that because you love them. But a quick fix, in, so to speak, is, is actually potentially even uh, causing a block or even greater harm if we're not first seeking out wisdom by understanding more of, of the scope of what's happening, whether that's how is this affecting my children? What's it like for me in my work life? Um, you know, and even like, how does this, this bridge back to things that I experienced when I was younger? There's just so much to it that we're not going to get for quite a while probably and i and that can be frustrating especially for pastors who they're not they're not doing necessarily long-term counseling weekly with people right. um they're not getting to hear the story at its deepest level which can cause a, a real difficulty there if, if you're the only one who's hearing uh, who's meeting with them and you're not getting to do that long enough or often enough to be able to hear more of the story so that's a, a potential pit, pitfall you know in pastoral ministry that is just what it is Yeah, along those same lines, that that describing that you're doing of, yeah, coming from the narrow into maybe a broader understanding or a broader perspective of their story, um, I think something that goes hand in hand with that is voice, um, which, you know, anyone who does work with abuse and trauma has probably read and heard lots of different you know, people talk about what does it mean to acknowledge the voice of the victim of the survivor? Um, what does it mean for them to kind of reestablish their voice? Um, and so I think what you're doing in helping them walk through their story and kind of put all those pieces together is that you're helping them find their voice, um, not just about what happened, but also where they want to go. You know, like, uh, they, they've been silenced oftentimes, not just in the abuse, but even by well-meaning people who've tried to care for them, but maybe were not patient enough, or maybe just didn't have the right tools. Or again, that's why we need a, a team approach is because my contribution to how someone um, starts to understand their story and figure that out is going to be such a small fraction of all of the different impacts and influences that are going to help them figure out where is, where is my story going now? Like what's next for me? Um, and so, you know, Beth, I'm sure you would attest to this to a lot of what we're doing when we work with 
survivors is helping them figure out how they want to describe their story, what resonates most for them. Um, because something that connects for one person for the next person, it'll be something entirely different. So even in our story emphasis, we can't just approach our story with a template of like, well, here's what your story should look like. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And Melissa, I know you've, you've experienced this as well with people that even just part of what helps give people their voices back is to sit with another person who can affirm and validate it makes sense that you're experiencing what you are because often abuse survivors they they have learned often through someone actually teaching them that their voice doesn't matter or that they don't get to decide and they do not have any ability to make choices uh, or even know themselves so um, we get the the beautiful it's one of my favorite things about what i get to do is to actually look somebody in the eye and say that makes sense it makes sense you are not this is, you know, this is something that I, I would be shocked if you weren't experiencing these things. Right. And so that is really helpful to people who may have never even heard anybody say that to them. And so coming into their voice and their story so often involves community, which is so beautiful because it points us right back to God's word. Like we are meant to do this together. I can't, it's not going to be the same for me to tell my story into a mirror right. <laughs> as it is to sit with another human being and be embodied and have a ministry of presence together in those moments. That brings me that brings me to another thought regarding storytelling and story keeping and story, you know, space is it's not just the victim's or survivor's story. It's not just the helper's story. All of us are part of a larger community, as Beth was saying. Can you and, and I know I'm springing this on you guys, so we'll see. I, I know you can because I trust both of you guys. Can you talk a little bit about are the necessity of connecting our story to God's story, what may be some of the theological principles that we're going to pick up at PeaceWorks Live that are going to help us help victims? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Melissa, you want to go first? I'm, I'm, I'm excited sure. for this question. It's going to be good. Um, yeah. Uh, I think there's always a bit of intimidation that – we might experience in how do I connect each person's individual story. Um, So I kind of want to just even normalize that first, that it can feel intimidating because as people who care deeply about theology and about who God is and about his word, um, we would take that really seriously and we don't want to do it lightly and just say, well, oh, where can I, you know, especially when I'm thinking of the women I work with in my restoried groups, Um, I want to be quick not to just like give them individual stories from scripture and say, well, here, this is, this is where you can relate to this person. Um, But one that comes to my mind that I do think creates that opportunity for the, the larger connection of like, how do I connect this with Christ and his, his story of redemption, ultimately, um, a lot of the women in my groups really find meaning and connection to uh, the woman with the bleeding problem and, and just the length of time that that was for her. So there's these pieces in that story. And obviously for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of it, but there's these pieces that they can connect to on a personal level. Like, Oh, I hear my story in her story in some ways, 
the, the time that she suffered, the traumatization of being an outcast and probably being asked those accusatory questions of, well, what did you do to bring this upon yourself in a sense and being outside of community? Um, so they can find that connection, but then ultimately what we see happen in that story is that it was in faith, in touching the hem of Jesus's garment that brought her healing. And so obviously there are far more adept theological scholars that could spend hours unpacking that for us, but that would just be one of the first ones that comes to my mind that I have found to be very meaningful. Yeah, I, I, when I think about the larger story of, of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, when we think about that in the scope of what we get to do, that's really exciting. It's really fun. Uh, one of the things that, that I love getting to do is to sit with people and talk about creation even. Like, what does it mean that God made you in his image? What does that actually mean? What does it mean that he breathed life into humanity that and and why does that matter why should it matter for us so because i think so often we are so prone to start with the fall right we're, we're so prone to do that in the way we talk about our need for a savior when ultimately it's like man god god did something so unbelievable and beautiful when he created us in his image with dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air but not over other people what does that mean what does it mean that he created us to be those kinds of people doing this kind of work in his world? And it's something that can't be, it's tainted by sin, but it cannot be destroyed because God is the biggest. And when God creates, what he creates cannot ultimately be ruined if, he's, if we are in his image and we are created in his likeness and we belong to him as believers all the more. We belong to him eternally. So what does that even mean for us? And how, how what's the juxtaposition between that design and what has happened to you. And I think that's a really helpful concept to just dig into and give a survivor the space to actually process some of that out. And what we what we find when we do that is actually that maybe there's some wrong or misinterpreted theology that's happened in the survivor's life that has hindered them from really moving forward and entrusting themselves to a God that created them with dominion and and purpose and value and worth so um so even that you know is just it's just one piece of that redemptive story that i love to dig into with people and i find that it's really affirming um, for people to, to to go back to the beginning and think about how god created us to be so uh, but there's a lot more you yeah. can go into with that that's why i was like gosh this this could be you could do a whole series on that absolutely <laughs> maybe we will stay tuned <laughs> Man, that's fantastic. I can't wait for you guys that are listening, those of you who are going to be joining us in August, I can't wait for you guys to get the full experience with Melissa and Beth and hearing ways in which you can step into the story appropriately. And that's going to be taking place in Charleston, West Virginia at Bible Center Church on August 18th through the 20th. And we would love to have you be part of PeaceWorks Live. If you come in a day early, by the way, and this is just a quick plug, one of my favorite things, you may not know this, Greg Wilson loves baseball. And last year we took him to a minor league baseball game in Charleston. And this year we're having PeaceWorks Night at the Ballpark. If you are going to be in town on Wednesday, come join us. We're sitting right behind a home plate with the famous Charleston Toast Man, who 
throws toast every time there's a strikeout. And we'll be watching the Charleston Dirty Birds play a little baseball. And we would love for you to join us. I did not know about the toast. I'm very interested in this. You will be completely (laughs) enthralled by the Toast Man. Quick shout out to Toast Man. If you're listening, uh, all of the Charleston area loves you. And uh, really thankful that Appalachian Power Park put an outlet near his seat so that he could run his toaster. Okay. Um, Thank you all for joining us on the podcast. Ladies, I'm just thrilled that you took the time to be with us today. Listener, I'm thrilled that you took the time to listen and learn and indulge a little bit. You know, there's so much more to be said about story and about victim care, and that's going to take place again in Charleston, August 18th through 20th. You can find out more at chrismoles.org. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, God bless.